Welcome to church, everybody. My name is Jared. If I don't know you, I'd love to meet you. Come say hello at the end of this. It's going to be a good day. This is a significant text that we're in. First John chapter three, starting in verse one. Before we get there, I want to tell you that uh, I'm grateful to be here together with you. I'm grateful that we can still have church. You know, they can't do this everywhere right now. And I know that we're having to make efforts to be careful, but it's still amazing that we get to gather and we don't want to take that for granted. We're grateful for technology so that you can be here with us as well. And uh, we're going to dive into the word of God together. I'm believing that the word of God is true and that the word from it today, though it may not be very comfortable at times, it is profitable for our souls and there is life in it. You know, um, I've never really understood the whole, like, your baby looks like you thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, your baby, oh my goodness, it looks so much like you. You just are a spitting image of your baby. And I'm like, I don't, I'm not going for that. That's not a compliment. I don't understand. And the older you get, it seems like the more confident you are in your ability to gauge who the baby looks like. You know what I'm saying? Anybody? No? Is that offensive to many? I don't want it to be offensive. I just think it's a fact. Like, the people in my life that feel the most confident that my newborn, two-day-old, looks exactly like me are the ones that have been predicting it for 45, 50 years. I don't know. And I just don't get it because it doesn't, it doesn't connect to me, but the older my kids get the more they actually do look like me and they start to act like me and that starts to scare me. (laughs) And some of you may understand what it's like if you're a middle-aged man or you're starting to get old enough to where these start to get a little further back on your head and it's creeping back and you, you look in the mirror and you're starting to see that receding hairline is getting worse and worse and you know where it comes from and you don't really want that to be the family resemblance that you have. But it's kind of inevitable, you know, that you're going to grow up and look like your dad or your mom. You're going to have this family resemblance. And John today in the third chapter, that's what he's describing. He's painting this picture for us of what it looks like to be a child of God. And the main point of this text and the main point for today is if you are a child of God, there will be a family resemblance. You'll start to look like your father. You'll start to act like your father. You'll start to love like your father. And it may not be in the hairline that that comes out for the world to see. Because this goes a lot deeper than DNA. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how if you are a child of God, there will be a family resemblance. The evidence of your blood-bought redemption shines through your family resemblance. I want to say that to you from the top, that the evidence of your redemption is going to shine through your resemblance. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. If you have your Bible, I want you to go there. If you don't, I think it's going to be on these lovely screens. And say thank you to the team for all the hard work that they've done in making this thing look great. This is awesome. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. See, behold, take it in, stare at it, stand still long enough to see and behold what 
kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Hello. Good morning. Almost lunch. John doesn't hold back on this. He's extremely clear and to the point. And he draws a line in the sand and he says there are children of God and there are children of the devil. And then he describes what both of those, what characteristics both of those represent. Verse 1 says, see, behold, what kind of love the Father has given to us. Given. What kind of love is this that he has given to us? See it. Behold it. This is a word of wonder. Look into this truth and be amazed. What kind of love is this? Behold. It's also a note of instruction, this word to behold. John is saying, stand still and consider this extraordinarily miraculous reality. Stand still long enough. Behold it. What kind of love is this? What kind of love is this? It's consistent with the character of God. It's immutable. That means it's unchanging. It's unfailing, this love. It's faithful, this love. What kind of love is this that doesn't change with the shadows? That doesn't change based on what you've done or what you didn't do? What kind of love is this? That does not fail or fade. To borrow the words of John in the next chapter, which we will get to in a couple weeks, Lord willing, God is love. God is love. He defines love with the character of God. What kind of love 
is this. This is a love that is so complete, so pure, so blameless, and so faithful that it drives out everything that isn't good or trustworthy. What kind of love is this? That the Father has given to us, not something to be earned. No, it was given. What kind of love is this? That we should be called children of God. What kind of love? Nothing impure can live in the same environment as this kind of love. Well, what, kind of, what kind of love would it be if it knew the solution to life and stared in the face of the tumor in the operating room and did nothing about it? This love is so pure and so all-knowing and so all-powerful and so unfailing that when it sees corruption, it destroys it because it can't be in the same environment as something that's impure. This is the purpose of this kind of love. What kind of love is it? What kind of love would adopt a malicious and rebellious enemy. By the way, the Bible calls us all enemies to God in our sin. For we were by nature children of wrath, dead apart from God because of our sin. It's not a very seeker-friendly thing to say. It's all over the New Testament. What kind of love? John writes and he says, behold, this kind of love. I'm a malicious, rebellious enemy of God and he still calls me child. What kind of love is this? What kind of love? This is the highest degree of love. How undeserving are we of this love? Charles Spurgeon says this way. To be promoted to be a prince of the blood total of heaven, it is not possible for any man to deserve this. No works can climb this lofty place. Faith only can reach it by the power of grace. This can't be earned. This can't be deserved. No, no, we were so far removed from receiving this love upon our own merit. No works can climb this lofty place. Faith only can reach it by the power of grace. What kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. And so we are. Not just called, not just named, not just given a title, not just given something to wear that shows that you're a child of God. No. You are. You have possession of this identity. And so we are. That's why Romans 8.15 says we have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We call him Father because we've received this spirit of adoption. What kind of love is this that we should be called children of God? And so we are. Verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. But for now, we are God's children and what we will be has not yet appeared. I was reading a story of Queen Victoria, one of the queens of England from a long time ago. 
And they talked about in this story how they didn't want her to realize who she was too soon. They were afraid that if she was too young when she realized that she was going to be queen, that it would affect the way that she lived. They were afraid that she would be spoiled and she would exploit this identity. And unbeknownst to them, she found out who she was. Not sure how you can hide it when you're living in a palace. But she found out who she was. And she started to change her behavior. And they didn't know what was going on, but they were watching her. The family was watching her. She was starting to be inquisitive. She was starting to ask questions about what it was what, what's leading the country all about? And, and how do I have good etiquette? And how do I act at the table? How do I be like a lady? She's only 12 years old. And so they come around and they ask her, Victoria, what's changed? What, how did you grow up so fast? What, what's changing about you? What, what happened? And this is what she said. I found out that I will be queen one day. It is only proper that I begin acting as such now. What we will be has not yet appeared, but beloved, we are God's children now. What are we waiting on? We shall see him as he is, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Not as he was. But as he is, I'm, I'm just telling you, I could preach for another 40 minutes on this verse, but I'm not going to do that. OK, we shall see him as he is. Look at this excerpt from Charles Spurgeon, two quotes from Charles Spurgeon. Hello, this is from 1856. So long time ago, uh, go with me. It's rich. We shall see his hand and the nail prints too, but not the nail it has been once drawn out and forever. We shall see his side and its pierced wound too, but the blood shall not issue from it. We shall see him not with a peasant's garb around him, but with the empire of the universe upon his shoulders. We shall see him not with a reed in his hand, but grasping a golden scepter. We shall see him not mocked and spit upon and insulted, not bone of our bone in all of our agonies, afflictions and distresses. No, but we shall see him exalted. No longer Christ, the man of sorrows, the acquaintance of grief, but Christ, the man of God, radiant with splendor, effulgent with light, clothed with rainbows, girded with clouds, wrapped in lightnings, crowned with stars, the sun beneath his feet. They can't write about it in Avengers. All right. Oh, glorious vision. How can we guess what he is? What words can tell us? Or how can we speak thereof? Yet whatever he is with all his splendor unveiled, all his glories unclouded and himself unclothed, we shall see him as he is. Not as he was. Because it's finished. But as he is. Not being tempted by the devil in the wilderness. No, instead, he will be standing firm on top of the devil's head, victorious. 
Not sweating blood in the, in the garden asking for relief from his father. No, instead we will see him enthroned, secure at the right hand of God the Father. Not forsaken on the cross by his father. No, we shall see him bearing the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We will not see him spit on along the road to Calvary. No, quite the opposite, because every knee is going to be bowed in reverence to him, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We will not see him dead in the grave. We will see him alive forevermore. We shall see him as he is. Let us not lose sight of this hope. Because when we see him and we know him, everything changes. John says you will be pure as he is pure when you see him. Everything changes. First Corinthians 13, 12 says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I have been fully known. Verse three. Back to our text, John chapter three, 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Here's a phrase that we get scared of. Here's a phrase that we skip around. We don't want to preach about because it feels legalistic. And what's interesting to me is John goes straight to this verse, straight to this phrase, this and at the top of the verse is a conjunction connecting both thoughts. Very interesting. He's talking about this kind of love that's so lofty we can't even imagine it. He's talking about us being sons and daughters of God. This unbelievable reality. And then he's talking about the day when Christ is going to appear and we shall see him as he is. He's ascended into the heights of thought. And he comes right back down to the reality of the moment with a simple conjunction and And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John wastes no time bringing us back down to reality. And I believe the reason that this is so closely connected here, this and connects these two thoughts, is because believing and your behavior are two sides of the same coin. John says, this is our God. This is our adoption. This is the grace at work. And everyone who has that hope will be pure as he is pure. Believing and our action are two sides of the same coin. What you do flows from who you are. The depth of your trust in God directly influences every choice you make. Every choice you make. John experienced this firsthand right next to our Savior. He's not advocating for works-based righteousness. This is not sinless perfection. No. This is not be righteous to earn favor. This is, behold, what kind of love is this? That you should be called a child of God even though you're rebellious and malicious and everything that is evil and an enemy towards this love. What kind of love is this to adopt you into this family? Adore 
This King and this Savior. Look to Him and you will see Him as He is and you will be made pure. You do not become pure on your own. You will be made pure like Him. The depth of your trust in God directly influences every choice you make. Verse 4, John continues to explain this thought. This thought about the way that we live. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins. And in Him there is no sin. He came to take away sin. And you're hearing that, and if you're like me, you're reading it all week, and it's like, well, I still have sin. I I still fail all the time. So what do you mean, John? What do you mean that, that, that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin? And then, and then he goes on, verse 6, No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Don't miss this. If you have a Bible and you underline or highlight, or maybe you like to write on your arm or a piece of paper or your wife's forehead to remind you. I don't know. Write this down. Seen Him or known Him. Underline those, highlight those. This is what he says. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Don't underestimate the power of seeing and knowing God. John knew this firsthand. John describes himself in his gospel account as the disciple that Jesus loved. And this was not a prideful thing. This was a how can this be thing. And he spent his whole life because of this reality. His mind was blown by this reality that God could love him. And he spent his whole life nestling up close to his Savior, pulling up a chair every chance he could get. He was always seen right beside his Savior, his Master, his Lord, and somehow his friend. Because he wanted to be so close. He wanted to see him and know him so well that it would produce a family resemblance. And that's what he's describing here. That's what he's saying. Proximity promotes resemblance. Who you're closest to is going to affect the way you live and the way that you look. John's saying the closer you get and the longer you stay, the more you're going to resemble your master. This isn't a once a week thing, people. This is an identity. This is pervasive. This this encapsulates everything. This gets in every cranny of us. Proximity promotes this resemblance. John isn't telling us to be sinless and perfect. John isn't telling us to earn favor or to be righteous in our own merit. He's telling us to see And know your Father as often as you will. Every morning and every evening, as often as you will. Pull up a chair. Get as close as you can. He understood this firsthand. Child of God. 
will have a family resemblance. Verse 7 and 8, 1 John 3. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy. That'd be another highlighter moment. Destroy, not argue with, not talk to, not have you know some light conversation and tell the devil to go away. Destroy the works of the devil. And Brian talked about this last week. Pastor Brian, remember he unpacked what the things of this world is that John's talking about in the second chapter. The things of this world, everything opposing God. And in 1 Corinthians and elsewhere, we see the devil described as little g God of this world. The God of this world. Everything of this world is the work of the devil that is contrary to the things of God. This is what Jesus came to destroy the work of Satan. Mm. This picture here, it's, it's, a, it's a conquering king. It's, it's not a lawyer coming to win an argument. Jesus, the picture we have of our Savior, is a conquering king, a mighty warrior standing victoriously on the head of the devil. This is not in a courtroom presenting a good argument. No, it is finished. He has destroyed it. Why do we make room for the enemy, for the devil to have his way? When Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, there are children of God and there are children of the devil. The same way that light destroys dark, Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Just like if this room was totally dark and they turned on that light right there, which is really bright and hot, it would destroy the darkness. You would be able to see me. And some of you understand what it's like to want to be in the darkness because you don't want anybody to see all the stuff that you're doing and that you're thinking. The patterns that you've developed. It's so easy to hide in this season. This is not in the notes. It's so easy to hide in the season. It's so easy to be in quarantine and have awesome excuses to not leave your house. And I'm not advocating for irresponsible behavior and just having a party in the middle of a pandemic. But I am telling you that this is a really good picture of what we're talking about. Because when we hide and we close the door and lock the windows... No light can come in. And we're just fine. We're just fine. There are children of God and there are children of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. I mean, he just keeps coming with this, guys. I was telling you it might be uncomfortable. No one. Born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed 
abides in him. I love this. I want you to underline it or highlight it, whatever you do. God's seed abides in him. God's very seed. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. What a, what a glorious reality to be born of God. What does that mean? To be born of God. John chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. John, the same John, the same apostle, wrote a gospel account as well. And in the first chapter, he speaks of Jesus. And verse 10 is where we'll pick it up. He says, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Born of God. Being reborn. New birth. Not of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. You can't earn this birth. You can't choose this birth. You can't pick it whenever you want to. Are you born of God? John chapter 3, a couple chapters later. Nicodemus, who was a prominent leader in that day, one of the rulers of the Jews, he was a teacher in the synagogues. He asked Jesus the same question. What does it mean to be born of God? How can I be born again? What are you saying, Jesus? Jesus said to him, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said, should I climb back in my mother's womb? Imagine saying that to Jesus. Like, you want me to climb back in? (laughs) And Jesus said, you're not not getting it. And yet you're a teacher. And you're not getting it. Because this birth is of the spirit and water. This is not a birth of the flesh. This is not a birth of your will. You're right. You can't climb back in her womb. I'm talking about a spiritual reality. Because dead things cannot come to life on their own. But praise be to God that his mercy and his grace is enough to wake us up. Born of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. So back to verse 9. When someone is born of God, God's seed abides in him. God's seed, God's very seed abides inside of all those who were born again. This is not an outward change. This is an inward birth and a seed is planted to grow. It's deeper than DNA. This is a spiritual reality that grows from the deepest part. And this seed, God's seed, cannot make peace with sin. It cannot have peace with darkness. This seed is the light of life. So sinful thoughts and sinful behavior and sinful patterns and whatever that looks like. Whatever sin is in your heart. This seed has been planted there to destroy it. To grow to the point where it destroys the darkness. Planted to make you more like Him. So that you can resemble your Father. 
planted to give you the family resemblance. 1 Peter 1.23 For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. It doesn't die. Through the living and abiding Word of God. Ezekiel 36.26 This is a prophecy long before any of this was written. God says this through his prophet Ezekiel. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. New birth. Born of God. With God's seed planted inside of you. By this, verse 10. By this, it is evident Who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? There's no gray area in this to John. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. There will be a family resemblance. You will take after your father. And this is nothing but glorious. Because from this example, we find purity of love. That completely transforms us from the inside out. And that serves our neighbor in a way that we can't in our flesh and in our pride. This is the hope for the world. There will be a family resemblance. In Luke chapter 15, there's a story, it's familiar to most of you probably, the prodigal son. This was a son whose dad was a landowner, a wealthy landowner. And the son knew that his inheritance was big. And so he asked for his inheritance and said that he wanted to leave the family house and go on and do his own thing. And in those days, if you were to do that, what would have happened was quite literally they would have, thrown, they would have performed a funeral service for you. Because to the family, you were dead now. You had chosen to leave and take your inheritance and go. And so... Figuratively, he was dead to his family, but quite literally, they would have performed a funeral. And so this son went a long way off with his wealth. And the Bible says he squandered it on reckless living. He spent it on the things that he wanted to do. And then he hits rock bottom in a pig pen, eating what the pigs ate, living in what the pigs lived in. Not a very good Habitation. And he finally realizes that even the servants in his father's house have it better than him. That his choices, that his patterns, that his behavior has led him down a road that has ended in destruction and filth and no hope with no future. And so he decides, the Bible literally says that when he came to himself, When he came to his senses, he drummed up an apology and prepared it to go back home and to ask his dad to forgive him. And this apology was 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. I'm not asking to be a son anymore. I know that that part of me is dead now. I know that that's gone. I know that you performed a funeral and it's over. But, but maybe I can just earn a place on the plantation as a servant. And so he, he gets up and he's on his way back home and he's going to meet his dad and no doubt he's terrified. And it says that while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and love and ran after him and embraced him and kissed him. Immediate grace. And in those days, the patriarch landowner no way he would have ran. This was the ultimate shameful act to condescend, to humble yourself to the point to run and show your legs. Literally, this was so countercultural, and the father didn't care. He bore his son's shame all the way to him. And when he got there, he embraced him and he kissed him and he said, Son! And so the son is fumbling through his apology. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he could finish, his dad said, get the best robe, get the ring for his finger, get the shoes for his feet. For this, my son was dead, but now he is alive. He was lost, but now he is found. This, my son, called son, and that is who you are. Yes, we performed a funeral. And yes, my grace is enough to receive you with open arms and to clothe you with the best robe and the ring and the shoes, to clothe you with my righteousness, to clothe you with honor as a son. And in the same way, in the same way, your Father in heaven is willing to clothe you with the garb of heaven. He is willing even more than that to put his seed inside of you. To change you from the inside out. Clothed in the righteousness by the blood of Jesus and born of God, being changed and renewed from the inside out. say, yeah, but, but like, that's a pretty story about the pigs and stuff, but mine's way worse. My story's way worse than pigs. You don't know what I've been through, Jared. You don't know the decisions I've made. You don't know how I've been playing this game and how I've been hiding. You just don't know how much is in the dark. If the light shone on my life, it would be really bad. I don't want anybody to see that. I can't make sense of this grace. All I know to be true is that when you come towards home, when you start to crest that hill, I know that we have a father who is already running to you and is ready to receive you with open arms. And more than that, He is going to clothe you with His righteousness by the blood of Jesus Christ the Son. And He's going to place a seed inside of you that will transform you 
to be pure as He is pure. This is not a 12-step plan. This is a surrender in a moment. This is an adoption in a moment. This is, this is a transformation spiritually in a moment. And when that seed is planted, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And proximity will promote resemblance and you will begin to share in His likeness. And it will grow and grow and grow and more and more life will be found. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because He bore our shame on the cross. And when He died, He left it in the tomb. You can see the nail prints in his hands, but you can't see the nails anymore. Because it is finished and it was left on the cross. Some of you need to let go of those nails. Some of you, figuratively, figuratively speaking, have gone up to the cross of Christ and pulled down the nails that you put in his hands and you're still holding on to them. Shamefully walking around with your guilt, not ready to release it. Not ready to uncover those places that are dark in your heart. His light is meant to shine and destroy that shame. In high school, we had a class. You know, there's always those classes that you don't take seriously. Or for me, I'll speak for myself. I, I was foolish in high school. In this class in particular, my wife, Kaylin, was in there with me, so it was a big problem. Because I was making every effort to be funny and cute and whatever else. And this teacher was so lenient and she was so sweet. Bless her, Miss Hall. She was the football coach's wife at the time. If you're hearing this, thank you for all that you put up with. And she would leave the class sometimes and she would have stuff to do and whatever and we and she would tell us that she was going but she would come back and in those moments we would all be like oh yeah it's time you know it's time to okay but finish your assignment finish your assignment yeah right and so she would leave the class and we would start playing card games and then we would set up a scout at the door to keep watch to listen for her footsteps to come back and when you heard that we had it rigged, right? When you heard the footsteps, everybody rushes back and we get everything in order and we fix it and we're all right back to our assignments and she never knew anything different. She never knew anything different. What will you be doing when Christ appears? What are you doing today? What will you be doing tomorrow? Do you think that you can procrastinate when it comes to your spiritual life? Do you think that the coming of the king is that far off? I'm not going to put a date on the last days, but I am going to say that it's near. Will we send a scout to the door to listen for the father's footsteps? Will we 
be prepared to go back to our work on the surface when Jesus comes to bring his own? Or will we confidently, like it says in chapter 2 of 1 John, confidently, confident, not in our ability, not in our merit, not in what we've done. No, confident because we have the family resemblance. Confident because he's given us his seed. It's not about the measure of your life and your faith and your we're not measuring who's better and who's more Christian. That's not what this is. But if you come back home and you expect to be shunned by the father who who has performed a funeral for you and he comes running to you and embraces you and hugs you and gives you his robe and his ring and his shoes, are you going to exploit that? Or are you going to live in that identity with the authority of who he is on your back and in your heart? He changes you from the inside out. Behold, what kind of love is this that God calls us children this is not about doing your chores well this is not about your streak on the Bible app he calls you child and so you are so what do you need to know what do you need to know in order to be saved Jared Give it to me. What's the deal? How does this work? It's not a 12 step. It's not even a prayer, to be honest. It is a prayer in that it's a relationship, but I can't give you the notes of how to become a child of God. What I can tell you is this. You need to know that you are a great sinner and you need to know that Jesus is a great savior. And you need to know that when you come up over that hill, he's going to be running after you. He's not waiting on the porch for you to bring the proper apology and have the best prayer. He's already running after you. He's right here. Will you reach out and grab him today? Maybe for the first time. Will you reach out and surrender There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Emmanuel, God with us. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. It's time to step into the light and be washed by the blood of the Lamb. Only through Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection are any of us ever going to be called children of God but that's what's on the table today trust in him the person of Jesus and the work on the cross trust in him repent of where you've been and believe and you'll be saved if you have no idea what that means or what that looks like but something's turning over in your heart I want you to come find me down here And I would love to walk with you through it. Father God in heaven. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you and hearts to know you right now. God, that you would be so 
present in this place, that your Holy Spirit would be so manifested in this place that we couldn't turn from you. God, I pray that you would send whales this morning to swallow up Jonah's that are in this room running from you right now. I pray that you would do whatever it takes to show your mercy that is running after us. God, I pray that you would break through the walls of our hearts that are hardened from years of hiding and running and practicing sin. God, come and light up the darkness and bring us back to life. God, if there be anyone in this room that's wrestling with whether or not they're a child of God, I pray that right now that you would, you would beckon them to move. You would beckon them to get up and come lay it down at this altar and tell somebody that today is the day they are surrendering their life to you, the Lord of their life. It's in Jesus' name.